Greetings, Tim Ajilam. Karibuni sana tena. We are now on our fifth episode of the Walking with God series, which is really a series, a study on the book, on the Gospel of John, which is what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. And now we are on our fifth episode. We are still on John chapter 2, but today we're going to read from verse 13 to 25. And allow me to read. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered his, this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed. It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this, said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Amen. Now, for many times when I've really read this story, and I think maybe this may be true for many of us, is that we, when we you know, kind of read this story, it's, it, it becomes, especially within our context, it's kind of like, yeah, 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 you know? Why is there you know, a marketplace in the church, right? Or in this, in this religious space. And it's almost in a sense we think that what's happening here is basically that God does not condone the mixing of business and his church, which isn't really what's happening here. One of the things that you really need to understand is that is, is, is the context around what is going on over here, right? And the first thing to understand is the fact that the trading that was happening wasn't anything out of the ordinary at the time. Like this wasn't a situation where at a, there was a you know there was a church and then all of a sudden or a temple, then all of a sudden there's all these biasharas that now had started to develop around the temple, right? Taking away from the temple. No. The thing that is interesting to, to realize is that the service that was being offered here within the temple was actually an important service for the temple. And let me explain. So in the Old Testament, uh, especially at the time, what would happen is that because, and this is not just the Old Testament, this is just purely actually just Jewish culture. Because up until that time, um, until actually in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed, when you look at that, you realize that for people that would come from far off, so for them, rather than them having to carry, for example, if you have to come and make a sacrifice, so this is why I was referencing the Old Testament, where you had to come and make blood uh, sacrifices, and the sacrifices were all these animals that had to be sacrificed um, in the temple. And the thing is, is that when you think about it, for someone who, is, who lives far off, for them, rather than them having to go and basically uh, get 
carry their, their sheep with them and travel the distance so that they can be able to come to, this, uh, to the temple and offer their sacrifice. So what people would do is that rather than have to carry it, is that what you would do is that you would go and you'd sell your, your, your sacrifice where you come. And then what you do is come with the money that then you would come and exchange and in turn get a sacrifice that you can then sacrifice at the altar. Are we together? That you now present to the temple for sacrifice for yourself. And so this was a normal practice because in fact a very important service that was being offered because for all those people who would come from very far off that they would have an opportunity to be able, this was actually something that was very helpful to them so that they don't have to come with all these things but instead they, 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 all they have to do is just come with the money that they need to be able to purchase what it is that they need to sacrifice, right? And so from a face value perspective, there is really nothing wrong with what is happening here, right? And it has happened for many, many centuries. So there was really nothing wrong with what was happening here. This was nothing out of the ordinary. And so the question then now becomes, why is Jesus kicking these people out, yet they are providing an incredibly valuable service towards the holy duties of the temple? Are you with me? Jesus, why are you tripping? What's going on over here? Why are you throwing these guys out? Right? Now, the thing that's interesting is that in the Matthew and Mark Gospels, in their version, in the version of them speaking of this same story, in the account of this story, this is what they say that Jesus actually said, where he says, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, the reason why I want to point this out is because it gives us an indication as to what was happening here that caused Jesus to be so upset with what was going on in this thing that from a face value perspective was a valuable service that was important for the temple, but there was something else that was happening behind the scenes, right? And for us to be able to understand this, we need to look at the Old Testament to gain some understanding around this as to why Jesus was kicking people out of the temple. Now, there's an Old Testament reference to what Jesus says, which comes from um, two different portions of Scripture. So you remember what I read from Matthew and Mark, in Matthew, Matthew and Mark's account of the story? And I'll explain why this ties back into John, where it says, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. This is actually two phrases that come from two different portions of Scripture. Right? Now, in terms of... Yeah, actually, it comes from Isaiah and Jeremiah, these two portions of Scripture. Now, from the first part, which says, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This comes from Isaiah 56, from verse 6 to 7. And allow me to read where it says, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with the joy with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So that's the first part. But then the second part, which is the part which is in reference to the den of thieves, that you have made it 
that you have made my temple into a den of thieves is actually from Jeremiah 7. And let me read from Jeremiah 7 from verse 3 to 11, which says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think that you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant we are safe only to go right back to all those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so what we see here from this Jeremiah 7, it gives us an indication as to what it is that has upset Jesus so much about what is happening here. And what is probably happening at the temple was that the merchants trading there were exploiting people by charging exorbitant fees. So, if you, for example, went and sold your sheep for a thousand shillings in the hope that now, let me ongeza another hundred bob because maybe there's some interest that I have to pay to be able to do the money changing and to be able to buy the sacrifice that I need to, to be able to go to take to the temple. But then you'd find that guys would come and then they'd find that actually the sacrifice is actually 2,500. And so what would happen is, is that the, because of this type of scenario, now all of a sudden, guys can't sacrifice because the guy didn't come with enough chums. Or even the thing, whatever he came with, now he's completely gone. <laughs> they asked now if he got how he's going to travel back because he had to spend all the money that he had on the sacrifices. And the thing that's interesting is that when you see from Jeremiah 7, where he begins to talk about it and he says to them, he's like, why is it that you are exploiting, right? Here it says, only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows, that there was exploitation that was happening here. And so Jesus kicks them all out because he knows what they are doing. And they are doing it with no remorse. For them, I mean, they're like, Jesus, why are you so mad? It's just business. Willing buyer, willing seller. It's just Biashara. And um, there were probably people who, like I mentioned, could not make sacrifices because once they get to the temple, the prices were so high that they could not offer sacrifices. Yet, the whole goal of this whole thing was about helping people to be able to find easier ways to be able to sacrifice in the temple. The trading was meant to be able to help people, but now it had become a place of exploitation rather than a place of assisting people to be able to offer their sacrifices. So the priorities had changed. Now it had become more about self-interest more than the interests 
of what it is that the temple was there for and the purpose of the reason why those merchants were there. But instead, now it had become a den of thieves. And so at face value, this was a necessary service, but on the inside, it was corrupt. It was a place of exploitation. It was a place of exploitation. And now we kind of understand why Jesus was so upset. Why he was just like, why are you guys doing this? Why is it that you're exploiting people in this way? And you think it's just business. You think I don't see this. You don't see. And it's so interesting at the very end of this where it says that Jesus knew what was in people's hearts. And he would see right through this. Right? Now what's really profound to me, however, is the deeper and more significant meaning of this scripture, especially for us today. You know, in the scripture that we read from John, when the Jewish leaders protested, and I, and, and I, and I, and I can assure you, knowing what we know about the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, is that I can assure you that these Jewish leaders, that the reason that they probably protested that the way that they did is probably because they were also taking a cut from those earnings. They were also dipping into this exploitation that was happening. And so they fiercely opposed Jesus. And they asked him, who gives you this authority? If God has given you this authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Show us that God is the one who sent you to be able to do this kind of thing. We've been doing this for centuries. And he says that, Jesus says to them, all right, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What? They exclaimed, because they are like, my guy, We've built this thing. It's been 46 years to build this temple. And you're saying you can rebuild it in three days? But the thing that then, not only them, but also his own disciples, Jesus' own disciples realize, is that they realize that Jesus isn't even talking. And the thing is, is that they only realize this after his resurrection. That he wasn't talking about the physical temple. That he was talking about his own body. And it wasn't until he had resurrected where the disciples finally understood what Jesus was saying here. And so the thing is, is that I want, us to, I want to point us to the fact that this story, in as much as when we look at it, from a very face value perspective, when we look at this story, yes, there's a physical situation that's happening here. And now we finally understand why Jesus is doing what he's doing in this temple. We understand that there's exploitation that's happening here. We understand that he's upset about that exploitation. And he begins to turn things around and saying that I want the den. This, this, this is not meant to be a den of thieves. It's meant to be a called a house of prayer. But the thing that I want us to point to by Jesus referencing the temple as his body. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That from this story, what we can connect from the physical temple that Jesus was clearing out, that we can literally connect that to ourselves. And so the real question for us today that we ought to ask is, is your temple a den of thieves or a place of prayer? When you read about what is being rebuked in Jeremiah, it centers around self-interest. Is your life all about self-interest? How many times have I heard of people who are believers in Jesus that will intentionally hurt people in business and say, well, you know, it's just business or those who will maintain corrupt practices and say, you know, that's just how it is. 
Let me read again what he condemns in Jeremiah 7. He says, Stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols. Then he goes on in verse 9 to say, Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours? And then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, We are safe only to go right back to all those evils again? When you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus says that those who insult their brother or sister is guilty of murder. He also says that you have heard it heard that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if any one of you looks at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. You know, the thing that is interesting, and I think I've mentioned this before, where once you come to know Jesus, Oftentimes what begins to happen is now all of a sudden there were some things that you were okay doing and all of a sudden you're no longer okay doing those things. There are some things that you just did with such a clear heart, you are so happy, then now you meet Jesus and then now all of a sudden it's like these friends now, we hang out with them, it bothers you. All of a sudden you hang out with this person and it bothers you. Or you start, you, you, you've been doing this thing that you've been doing. Maybe you've been skimming a little bit off under the table. And now all of a sudden you start to feel uneasy about it. And all of a sudden you no longer can comfortably sin. <laughs> You're no longer comfortably sinning. Before you used to sin even, you didn't even think about it. Right? You can't comfortably get angry the way you used to. Now you just, it, it upsets you. You start to get convictions you know, asking you and forcing you to be better. You can no longer just live with lust in your life any longer. Now you're just like, and you're bothered by it. This is literally the manifestation of what happens. This is Jesus cleaning out his temple. Jesus will not sit around and watch his temple being misused, which is you. You are that temple. You are the temple he is determined to clean out and he is relentless. He is relentless about being able to ensure that all these things that you are doing, all these things that you're comfortably... The thing that's interesting to note is that when he's rebuking the guys in Jeremiah, these are people who had no remorse. That they would come with no remorse and continue to do the things that they were doing with absolutely no remorse. And he says to them, you have turned my temple into this place. And it's the same thing for us, that there's some people who are doing things with no remorse. But for us, as even as we hear this word that we realize that when we look at our own temple, we recognize that there are some features over here that he is rebuking and are present in our lives. But the thing to remember is this, is that in as much as Jesus points us to the fact that this thing is not meant to be a den of thieves, that my temple, which is you, is not meant to be a den of thieves, he shows us, however, what his temple is meant to be about. And he says that it is meant to be a house of prayer. You know, for the last few weeks, there's a couple of words that have been ringing in my mind. Arise, elevate, come higher, ascend. And I remember in the second episode of this series, I remember saying and I mentioned doing this thing that I started doing that I'm calling, I call them prayer walks. And I mentioned this about two weeks ago. I, um, 
in the second episode, we're talking about prayer walks. And this is something that, how it started is, is that I remember being in the office at some point and just feeling so frustrated and so, I don't know what was happening on, on that specific day. And my entire desire was just to, I just needed to talk to God. And so what I did is that I just literally walked out of my office and just went for a walk, put on my mask. And as I was walking, I was talking to God and I was praying and just talking to God about all manner of things. And when I finished that walk, which was maybe about 45 minutes, a 45 minute walk, when I finished the walk, I remember feeling so much better, so significantly better, that I started being like, wow, that was nice. <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is, this is such a nice thing to do. I, 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 I need to do this a bit more often. Comes, turns out the next day, I was just like, man, I really enjoyed doing the, what I did yesterday. So let me, let me just keep this thing going. Let me just keep this thing going and just keep going for these walks. So it's now probably been a little, maybe it's been about maybe two weeks, I'd say. And my friends, let me tell you something. You know, I've been a believer for maybe now 21 years, and I've always had throughout that time about the importance of prayer. And so I've always made it a point to pray. You know, make sure you have a few minutes every day to be able to pray. This has been my MO, you know, throughout my life, you know, every day. But the thing that I realized is, is that in as much as I'll always find a few minutes of the day to pray, the way in which that I personally know that I have approached my prayer life has always been as this thing that's a good thing to do, just like everything else. It's good to read your word. It's good to do all this. It's just a, it's a good thing to do, right? It's a thing that, as a believer, it's a thing that you do. But the thing is, is that when, as these few weeks have gone by, this last two, few, two weeks has gone by, one of the things that is coming over and over again, and God is reminding me over and over again, is that prayer is not just a nice tool for the believer to have. It is literally the means through which we're able to exercise our God-given authority in our lives. It's the way in which we're able to manifest the many promises that God has declared of our lives. Prayer is a means through which God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer, literally for the believer, is such an incredible gift from God. It is the key to living in the miraculous. Prayer is God's gift to us. But unfortunately, we treat it like it's a nice to have rather than a need to have. Yet Jesus tells us that my house, my temple, will be called a house of prayer. And so my question to you is, are you a house of prayer? My friends, over the last two weeks, as I mentioned, as I've been doing this thing of walking and doing uh, these prayer walks, and, and really, in a sense, what has that, that has led me to is even through preparing this message and recognizing that when Jesus was giving me all these flashes of words of arise, elevate, ascend, come higher, what he was saying to me is he was saying, I want you to come into another level of prayer, into another space. In fact, the, the, the thing that comes to mind, it reminds me of the story of Moses, where God calls Moses to go up the mountain so that he can be in his presence and speak to him. The thing about this is, is that when you understand that going up a mountain is no joke, it takes effort, it takes intention for you to go up a mountain. And the thing is, is that this whole message to come higher, what God is asking us to do is to come meet him up on the mountain. 
that the same intention that is required for you to walk up the mountain is the same intention that we need to live an intentional life immersed in prayer. This is a come and see for yourself situation. This is something that I'll tell you. And you know, the thing is, is that like over the last, and I, I was sharing this with some of my friends, how over the last few days in terms of being able to practice this more intentionally, like it's only been a few days and already I can feel the difference where things are just different. I feel my energy coming back, my weariness that was there. I feel that vitality being restored. And it's simply because of being able to come higher, to being able to heed what God is asking us to do, which is come higher, ascend, arise, elevate. And in a very practical way, this is what it has looked like for me, where this prayer works has been a very practical manifestation of coming higher. The intentionality to spend time in prayer. Uh, one of the other things that I remember in 2020, there was a group of friends that me and two other friends who would uh, get up at, at that time, it was about 7 a.m. every day, uh, every weekday to pray together. And I reached out to my brothers and I told them, my guys, we need to do this again. So now I've added also in the morning at 5 a.m. to be able to spend some time in prayer, but this time with a band of brothers that we pray together. And the thing is this, is that I truly believe that this word and as well as what God is saying to us is that he's asking us to come higher, to elevate, to arise, to ascend. And how we do this is by elevating our prayer life. And so the question and the thing that I want to be able to challenge you today as I close is that would you purpose within yourself that you will seek to ascend, to elevate your prayer life, to come higher, to ascend? You know, one of the things to realize is that whenever you purpose to do this, and this is something similar that happened to me, that in the first few days, I remember how the enemy came after me because the thing is, is that the enemy never wants you to pray because he knows that is where your victory lies. That when you get into a life of intentional prayer, everything will change and he knows it. And so the voices that you'll hear, I'm sure even when you, some, for some people when you start, all, all literally hell will break loose. And the reason for that is because he does not want you to pray. He wants you to stop because he knows that once you begin to pray, everything will change. And the thing for me is this. If you remember the few messages ago where I began to tell you how it was like, come and see for yourself. If you remember that message, I think it was the second message. Come and see for yourself. This is a come and see for yourself situation. This is a come and see for yourself that if you would over the next even let's say 30 days would engage in intentional prayer that you would immerse your life in prayer. This is a come and see for yourself situation. I wonder what it is that you would begin to see happen in your life on account of that, on account of you literally heeding the call of the living God to arise, to ascend, to elevate, to come higher. I want to close with Revelation 4.1, which says, 
Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And I want to paraphrase that where Jesus is saying to us, come up here and I will show you what you must do with your life. I will give you the direction that you seek. I will show you and I'll open doors for you that you never thought imaginable. I will deliver you from shackles that have been holding on to you for so long. Come up higher. Come up higher with me. Come up here and see what it is that I will be able to do through you and with you. Amen. What Jesus is saying to us is that my house, my temple, you are to be a house of prayer. And I pray that we would heed his call and I look forward to the many testimonies of those who will choose to ascend, to elevate, to arise, to come up higher, to meet with the Lord in the closet of prayer. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much because I, you are calling us to come up higher. You're calling us to arise, to elevate. And we hear you. Father, I pray for everyone who's hearing this message that you'd infuse in them a desire to come up higher, to elevate, to arise, to come meet you, to come meet with you with a great intention, knowing that in your presence anything can happen. So, Father, we ask that just the same way it says in your word that you work in us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. I pray, Father, for everyone listening that you put in them the will and the discipline and the intention to do that we would arise, that we would ascend, that we would elevate, that we would come higher. Thank you, Father, that you hear us. And because you hear us, we know that we have what it is we've asked for. For we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share it with someone whom you love. Share it with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then, make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button, subscribe, subscribe. God bless you guys.